Turn with me this morning, please, to John chapter 20, your copy of the scriptures, John chapter 20. It's certainly good to be back with you after a week away. Trust you had a good week. I know some of you were on spring break as well, so I hope it was restful and enjoyable. Certainly uh, happy to be back with you this morning. And of course, we are looking forward to the fellowship Friday night at our house, so if you're Uh, able to come to that. Look forward to having you then. Let me tell you something about parking, and if you forget this, you call me, text me, no problems at all, but there's, our driveway is on both sides of the house, so if you, you're welcome to park there. Uh, As you know, with driveways, you might get stuck, so if you park in the driveway, just hang out. You know, we'll, we'll just hang out a long time, but there's the driveways on both sides. There's the curb in front of the house. You can park there as well, and then there's a cul-de-sac across from the driveway, goes down a little hill, and we've been told you could use those curbs as well. So park there, come, have a great time. Again, if you forget any of that, just call me, text me, not a problem, and we'll look forward to having you all on Friday. And of course, hope you have a good Easter today and celebrate throughout the week our Lord's resurrection. So John chapter 20 is our passage this morning, and let me read verses 11 through 23. John chapter 20 beginning at verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Father in heaven again, we call on your name because you are good. And we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. We thank you that he is risen today. You raised him from the dead. And he speaks to us even now. He dwells among his people. We are in your presence of the triune God. And we will in a few moments commune with you by faith when we eat this bread and drink the cup. So bless us this morning to know the presence of the Spirit, to hear the voice of God speaking in the Scriptures, to see Jesus Christ there as the object of our faith. 
And bless this time as we celebrate, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus told the disciples, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. And as often happened, his disciples did not understand what Jesus meant. So he tells them very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Here Jesus describes a descent into grief followed by a return to joy as Jesus is taken from his disciples and later restored to them. Now, when we first meet the main characters in today's passage, their grief has not yet turned into joy. So Easter morning, as we've come to call it, it's dawned, but they don't yet know about the main event. The opening verses of this chapter describe how Mary Magdalene arrives at the tomb and discovers that the stone has been removed and the Lord's body is missing. And she runs immediately to tell uh, Peter and John, find them and deliver this news. Well, they both run back to the tomb and they see the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth around Jesus' head. And at that point for them, there's this mixture of confusion and belief. And the disciples go back to where they were staying. When the narrative returns to the disciples later in the story, we find them hiding in a locked room for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Mary, as we read, has stayed at the tomb weeping. So what will it take to turn their sadness into joy? The appearance of the risen Christ and the words he speaks to his people. And that is what we find in the verses we have read today. So friends, as we celebrate another Easter together, let's listen to the risen Lord as he gives us a joyful message. And Jesus communicates three main ideas in these words to Mary and the disciples. Here's the first. Jesus's resurrection accomplishes our salvation. It completes it, seals the deal, brings it into an accomplished reality. The first person Jesus speaks to in our passage is Mary Magdalene. And we presume that she returned to the empty tomb after Peter and John left. Maybe she went back to look for the body. Well, she never found it. What she did find was two angelic messengers where the body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And the angels asked Mary, woman, why are you crying? And when you hear that word woman, that, that might sound abrupt to us. But here it's just a form of polite address. It'd be more similar to our man. Now the question, however, why are you crying? That is a gentle rebuke meant to prod her thinking. She is looking for Jesus's body, not a resurrected person. And the angels want her to consider, is that the kind of Messiah Jesus is, one who dies and that's the end of the story? In fact, Jesus asks Mary the same question in verse 14. She turns around and sees Jesus standing there. Now, she doesn't realize at first that it's him. And so he asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? In other words, Mary, what kind of Messiah do you think I am? Can you process the idea of a crucified and resurrected Messiah? 
Can you embrace the idea that this is how God will bring about his promised salvation? At the end of this chapter, John tells us the purpose of his gospel. Maybe a verse many of you have memorized. It's to convince unbelievers that Jesus is the Messiah so that they will place their faith in him and have eternal life. And so when we know that purpose statement, we can read these questions in the gospel as not only for Mary, but for all readers of John's gospel. John asks us, have you embraced the idea that Jesus died and rose again to accomplish your salvation? Maybe this morning you're weighed down with some sadness, and I don't dismiss that and say, what's wrong with you? But I would ask this, amidst sadness, can you rejoice in the triumphal resurrection of our crucified Lord, the one who loves you and gave himself for you? The the empty tomb that we celebrate this morning bears witness to the power of the Lord to bring us from death to life, to bring life out of death, joy out of sadness. And he does that for us on a spiritual level. He, he forgives us of our sins. He makes us new creatures. He gives us new life. And in the final day, one day, he will raise our very bodies from the dead. And embracing that truth, embracing that good news brings life now, brings joy and a reason to celebrate. And Mary's answer to Jesus shows that she just hasn't got there yet. She hasn't processed all that. She she doesn't even recognize the one to whom she is speaking. She supposes that he's the gardener. That'd be the caretaker of the property. And she says, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. So maybe Mary is thinking, you know, the owner of the property, maybe maybe he wanted the body of the criminal removed. So Mary's saying, look, just tell me where the body is. I'll go bury it properly. And at this point, Jesus simply calls Mary by name. And I don't know what it was about the way he phrased his voice or something spiritual going on, but the way he addressed her finally opened her eyes to the fact that she is speaking with her resurrected Lord. And when Mary realizes it that it is Jesus, she embraces him with joy, grabs him, perhaps gives him a big old bear hug. And so now his message comes to her in verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now we'll talk in just a minute, but why doesn't Jesus want Mary to hold on to him? We'll get there in just a second. But what I want you to notice first is how Jesus describes God the Father in those last words, my Father and your Father. My God and your God. And those aren't just throwaway words. That is the language of covenant, the language of salvation, the language of restoration, the language of family. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, all who believe in him, are God's adopted children. Jesus' father is your father if you trust in him, if you know him. Jesus is God, so to speak, the one who he served with his life unto death and, and who he shares in the very identity of God is your God. And we have been reconciled to him through the work of the Son. 
as it says so succinctly in Hebrews 2.11. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And I would just ask, do you know what it is like to belong to God's family? That that because of Jesus' death on the cross, our sins are forgiven. That because he died and rose again, God the judge declares us now to be in the right when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And then God goes beyond that and declares us to be his children. If you know him, if you trust him, if you cast your soul onto him for care, that is the kind of relationship we have. And it just doesn't start at one moment of conversion. It continues throughout all life. When you sin, the risen Christ restores you to himself. And all that is accomplished through his death and a resurrection. Let's come to the second idea then. Jesus' ascension empowers our witness The ascension of our Lord, which he refers to here, empowers our witness. Now, when we use that phrase, the ascension, it's in the creeds that we confess. It's that final event of Jesus' earthly ministry when he was taken up into heaven. Sometimes we think of the resurrection as the end. Well, that's definitely a high point. But when he goes up into heaven, that's not just he's got to get back home. That's a climactic event where he is taken up into heaven and enthroned as the Lord of heaven and earth. And that's an idea really brought out in many of Paul's letters. Jesus anticipates the event, though, right here when he says to Mary, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, I don't know about you. I remember as a young Christian hearing some very strange ideas associated with this verse. Did you hear that? I see some nodding heads. Uh, Sometimes it was tied to the idea of the high priest. He couldn't be sullied by physical contact until he had gone into the Holy of Holies and presented the blood of the sacrifice. Or one article I found online, it said, Jesus is challenging Mary to realize that their relationship was going to change, that she needed to start walking by faith, and not by sight. Just trying to make sense of the point of this language. I'll be honest, I I don't think there's any spiritual implications in Jesus' words to Mary here. I think he is simply telling her, maybe with a smile, maybe with a laugh, it's okay, I haven't left yet. You don't have to cling to me as if I'm going to disappear again any minute. I haven't left yet. However, I am going to leave eventually. So go gather the others and share with them my message of restoration and salvation. And that is exactly what Mary does. She's off to be the first proclaimer of the resurrected Jesus. Now, when we encounter the disciples again, now it's Sunday night. And as we said earlier, they're assembled in a locked room for fear of the Jewish leaders. Well, locked doors are no obstacles for the risen Christ, a great mystery of God's word. He's bodily risen, and yet he can go through doors. This is the beauty of the resurrection body uh, that God produces here. So he goes, he appears in their midst, and he says, peace be with you. He probably had to say that because there was probably mass confusion in that moment, maybe even a little bit of panic. How did this guy get in here? But then Jesus shows them his hands and his side. And the end of verse 20 reads, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Like Mary, they eventually figured out it's Jesus. And his presence conquers their grief 
and fear. And so in verse 21, Jesus repeats his greeting, peace be with you. Here Jesus is communicating to them the message of salvation. The message of restoration. These are Jesus' first words to the disciples since they abandoned him. The first words since Peter denied him. And does he come into the room kicking the door down with a word of condemnation? No, he comes with greetings of peace. The relationship is whole again. And not only does he speak words of peace and forgiveness, he also gives them a commission. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus appears to the disciples. He speaks peace to them. He lets them know that they are forgiven. And then he restores them to their task and tells them that though he will soon ascend into heaven, his work, his mission will continue through them. So the work of salvation is finished. Jesus is risen from the dead. He'll soon ascend into heaven and receive all this authority over heaven and earth. But the mission isn't over. In fact, it's in many ways just beginning. Because it's going to go, as Jesus tells his disciples, to the very ends of the earth. And just as we did a moment ago, we we extend Jesus' words to Mary, to us. We extend this commission to us as well. That is, God sent Christ and he finished his task, now he sends us. In John 17, Jesus prays, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. The the words of Jesus ripple out from those first hearers to you and me today. And we have a role to play wherever God has put you in accomplishing the mission of the church. And in order to accomplish that mission, the risen and ascended Christ pours out his spirit on his church. Notice verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And John's language, it reminds me of a few verses from earlier In the Bible, think of the creation story. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Think of Jesus' words to Nicodemus in the opening chapters of John. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again, that is, born of water and the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And of course, that beautiful vision from Ezekiel, the valley of the dry bones, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. I will put my Spirit in you and you will live. You hear the back and forth there between the wind and the Spirit? The wind is a symbol, it functions as a symbol of the Spirit, which is a symbol of new creation and new life. God brought the first human to life with the breath of his nostrils. That man sinned, our creation sins, so now Jesus is breathing out once more life, new life, to give life to his new creation, his church, so they can take the new creation out to the old. The Spirit has long been promised 
And it is almost time for him to come. So you you see Jesus essentially acting out what's going to happen in just a few weeks at Pentecost. Assuring the disciples God's spirit will come. And he will enable you to fulfill this commission. And, And friends, don't just think of it an old story. The same spirit is available to you and to me. Will not your father, Jesus says in Luke 11, I believe, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And each of you, every one of you, God God has shaped your life, your circumstances, your personality, your abilities, what you have and what you don't have. And then in Christ, the Spirit comes and takes that and uses you to serve his body, to advance his mission, to participate in the life of the church. Talents, yes, and Spirit-enabled abilities that God will give you to accomplish Your mission. So whatever task God gives you, whatever kind of station in life he gives you, the Spirit is there to enable you to perform it and to do good for Christ and his kingdom. So let's look at the last thought then this morning. Jesus' message determines our mission. While we're on this mission, what message does Jesus give us to take to Roebuck and to Spartanburg County and to your home and beyond? Well, the answer is found in verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And we're going to speak to that language in just a moment. First, notice just the main idea. The church's message is characterized by forgiveness. Jesus comes and speaks peace and forgiveness, and that is what we offer the nations. And of course, along with that, there's the warning of the danger of not being forgiven, but this is the message Jesus gives us. Now, the question we probably have reading this is, does Jesus give us, or the disciples, or anyone else for that matter, the direct authority to forgive sins. Can, can, can you affect a change in someone's relationship between them and God? I would nuance Jesus' words or, or help us rightly understand them by saying that the authority Jesus bestows is declarative. So there is an authority here, but it is an authority to make a declaration. They can declare the terms of forgiveness that God offers. Repentance from sin and faith in in the risen Christ leads to life. Those are the terms, and you can declare them. And you can also declare to the best of your ability whether those terms have been met. In other words, as a mouthpiece of the risen Lord, you can tell people what Christ offers and how they can obtain that and whether or not they are doing what God says they must do in order to be saved. So it's a real authority. It's a declarative authority. But in being declarative, it is reflective of the ultimate authority, God. Notice the use of the passive voice in the verse. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And I think that's significant. God is the one who forgives, ultimately, on the basis of his finished work and through faith in him. And yet you and I are commissioned to declare that forgiveness and whether or not one has received that forgiveness. So as a believer in the risen Christ, God has commissioned you and he has empowered you by the Spirit 
to bear witness to his love and forgiveness. And that is what you do with your life, wherever you are, wherever God gives you ability. Bear witness to his purpose to save his creation. Bear witness to the reality of new creation already begun. Bear witness through word and deed to God's mercy and extend mercy and forgiveness to those around. And warn when needed of the consequences of being separated from Christ. And try to help others see how good life is under the lordship of Christ. And so as we rejoice in Christ, the risen Savior, this Easter morning, find joy in the message he speaks to Mary and to the disciples and to you. And and if you've never believed this good news, consider embracing it today. Take a chance on the idea that Jesus loves you and really rose from the dead, and that he offers salvation and forgiveness to those who believe and trust him. And if you do believe that good news, then may it bring joy to you. May it bring purpose to your everyday life. May it flow through you to others. So let's give thanks and pray as we get ready to come eat the Lord's table together. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we do thank you that Christ arose. And I pray this morning we would find our joy in the risen Christ. Just make us, Lord, people of hope who, who believe in resurrection life, who believe in renewal and restoration and reconciliation and a future that, that you've already assured us of is certain through the resurrection of Christ. Make us people of joy, resurrection people. And give us hope for a new world and better things when we're disappointed now, when we're sad and when we grieve now through sin and other trials, Lord, through other things that go on in your creation. Give us hope, hope for a new world. And Lord, make us then to be agents of your mercy, of your forgiveness, of your renewal, of your life, and to do so by the Spirit. Fill us all with the Spirit. And may we be sanctified more and more to be like the Lord Jesus. And may we be empowered to serve you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing before we come to the Lord's table. Hymn 274, Thine Be the Glory. Just sing verses 1 and 2 while the elders come and make ready the table. So hymn 274, stand with me, sing just the first two verses.